I know you've been going through the kings in the Old Testament, and I've got Jehoshaphat. Wow, what a subject. What was his mother thinking of giving him that name? How he must have suffered in school. You know, you're coming out with his dinner money. And uh, Je- Jehoshaphat. I wonder what they shortened to do. Josh? Fat? I don't know, but I'm sure it was um, altered. The great thing about the kings of Israel um, is that, and the kings of Judah, there was a division in Israel. Israel went into the promised land as one nation. Well, there was a division. I'm sure you've done that, have you? Where the kingdom was divided, Jeroboam and Rehoboam. The kingdom was divided. And what a warning to us. That's not what God wanted. God wanted them to be united people, I believe. He wanted one Israel in the nation. They were divided. Some of the tribes were the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom. And sometimes when you're looking at this, you'll have to just do a little bit of detective work and find out well, where, where, which kingdom is it, north, south, Israel or Judah. And um, we have Jehoshaphat here. And um, you can divide the kings of Israel into good guys and bad guys. So the first thing you have to work out, was he a good king or a bad king? Well, I'm pleased to tell you Jehoshaphat was a good king. I was very impressed. I knew a little bit about him already, but when I had to do a little bit of preparation for this morning, I was amazed just what a good thing is. His story is absolutely amazing. It begins, we've got 1 Kings chapter 22, but the main portion is in 2 Chronicles, and that's where we're going to be this morning. And I'd like to read some words from chapter 17. And then we'll see how we get on. Okay. Jehoshaphat, his son, this is, sorry, Second Chronicles 17. Jehoshaphat, his son, succeeded him as king. And he strengthened himself against Israel. Isn't that a strange verse? The king of Judah strengthened himself against the other tribes that had come out of Egypt with them. What a sad occasion. It's, it, unity is very important in the, the scriptures. As much as it lies within you, live at peace with all people. In other words, if it's up to you, sort it out. Sort it out. It really is important. He stationed troops in all the fortified cities of Judah and put garrisons in Judah in the towns of Ephraim that his father Ahaz had captured. And this is a great verse. The Lord was with Jehoshaphat because in his early years he walked in the ways of his father David had followed. He did not consult Baals, but sought the God of his father and followed his commands rather than the practices of Israel. The Lord established the kingdom under his control, and all Judah brought gifts to Jehoshaphat, so that he had great wealth and honor. His heart was devoted to the ways of the Lord. Furthermore, he removed the high places and the Ashtoreth poles from Judah. I'll stop there. Let's pray. Father, as we look at this uh, great king of, of Judah, I just pray, Lord, that you will... Help us to see things in this story that will help us. We want to be known as good Christians. We'd like to honour your name. When they write our history, we pray that we'll be in the list of the good kings and not the bad kings. Amen. Amen. Well, um, he reigned for 25 years at a very important time. But the dates and the background are not really important. We see in this man certain clues that if they're included in our lives, they will help us as well. First of all, it says, the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because. Now, that's the important thing. Why was the Lord with Jehoshaphat? It says, the Lord was with because. It's the because that we need to look at. Because I'm sure if you're a Christian here this morning, and if you're not, you're most welcome. You, 
if you're a visitor, you must come back again or they'll blame me. And it's the important thing that the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because, because of certain things, it tells us quite simply, he walked in the ways of his, fa- that his father David had followed. Now David wasn't his literal next previous father, but they spoke of David as the father, meaning one of his relatives. God is with us when we walk with him. God has made a commitment. The Lord is with him because he walked in the ways of his father David had followed. For the, for the people in the Old Testament, it was walking in his ways. They were keeping the law. They removed idols. They worshipped in the temple. They would be involved in these very outward going things. And it sounds at first that all he did was keep the rules. That he kept the rules. Well, there were rules, and he certainly kept the rules. It said he walked in the ways of his father David had followed. In the New Testament, it says, walk in the light as he is in the light. How we walk in the scriptures is how we live our daily lives out. Now, you've come to church this morning, and you all look quite holy, really. Because, you know, but I know that some of you... Are, no, 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 no. It's not what goes on in this room that's... It is important, but how do we walk? What are we like outside? What's the daily thing? And the scripture tells us plainly of him, he walked in the ways of his father David. In other words, he sought to live a godly life in that way. Secondly, um, he did not consult uh, Baal. He didn't consult mediums or idols. He sought the Lord. He wasn't distracted by these things around. Now, idol worship, so often in the Old Testament particularly, had with it a very fleshly dynamic. Very fleshly. If you read the story in Kings, you'll have a clue there as to some of the things that were going on in Israel at the time, of which I wouldn't mention in mixed company here this morning. There were some very evil things going on. And we find here that he comes, and he says he did that, didn't consult well. So he walked with God, and he took his counsel from God. In other words, he did not consult with him, but sought the Lord his Father and followed his commandments. How do you walk? Where do you turn to for guidance? That's often a test. Well, we have the scriptures, we have the Holy Spirit that can enlighten the scriptures to us. Hopefully we have godly, godly friends and a, a ministry team in the church that could come alongside us and help us at that time. So here was a man who made a decision to walk in the ways of his father, in other words, to live the Christian life, we'd say today, and not to consult the, the prophets of Baal or any of that. He was going to make Judah God's country. So he did not consult, but sought the God of his father and followed his commands rather than the practices of Israel. So we have this contrast all the time. We've got Judah with a good king, we've got Israel with a bad king. And we've got this, and the scriptures tell us that he chose a different way to Israel. That was good because Israel was a power. As you know, he had to fortify the cities. There was still rivalry going on. But this man stood above it. He decided that his kingship, his rulership would be marked out as that of someone who serves God. So he didn't consult the prophets of El, but sought the God of his father, followed the command rather than the practices of Israel. Now that sounds... Very simple. The Lord established the kingdom under his control. In other words, because he got his life sorted out, because he made decisions on how he was going to live, he wasn't going to copy or be in- intimidated by Israel, 
because he had did this. It says quite simply, the Lord established the kingdom under his control. All Judah brought gifts to Jehoshaphat, so he had great wealth and honor. He became prosperous. God prospered him. Now today there are some teaching out there about God wants everybody to be a millionaire. Well, I'd, God must be working out alphabetically because I'm still skint. <laughs> you know, I don't believe that teaching that God wants everybody to be a millionaire. If you do, I think you are deluded. And you want to change channels. You know, God will prosper, but there's prosperity in the scriptures not just to do with money. Some of the most prosperous people I've met have nothing. They're prosperous in God. They have an understanding of God. And he comes. And because he got the basics right, because he didn't consult with the, the idols, because he didn't go down these ways, and he walked in God's way, it almost seems that God established him. Do you know, if we want an established life, we really need to walk in the ways of Scripture. You know, and I know, that when we have veered from Scripture... Our lives don't improve. We get ourselves in crises, we get ourselves in problems. I'll give you an illustration. When you don't forgive someone, you're in trouble. There must be a lot of people out there who you've not forgiven and they don't even know you've not forgiven them. You know, it's important to forgive. In other words, if we get our lives, God will prosper us and God will bless us in that way. So he gets, he walks in godly ways. He sets an example to the nation. The Lord establishes under his control. All Judah brought gifts to Judah. So he became great wealth and honor. But the nitty gritty of his verse 6. For his heart was devoted to the ways of the Lord. Now some people do things because they're frightened. Fear. Why is it I always slow down when I see a police car in my rearview mirror? Even though I might not be speeding. Well, I don't speed. I'm perfect. <laughs> no. But why is it, you know, some people are keeping the law. This is the rule book. Chapter 16. Yeah, I've done that. Chapter 19. Oh, I must work. No, 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 no. This man had devoted himself to the Lord. And the key word here, as I've already mentioned, is his heart. His heart was devoted to the ways of the Lord. Furthermore, he removed the high places and also the poles from Judah. In other words, because his heart was right, he couldn't live with idolatry in the nation. Ten commandments. You know, thou shalt have no graven images. And he, he took it seriously. And once he'd sorted out his own heart and life, he was able to sort out the nation's. Now, I'm sure I've preached many times to other people and I needed to listen to my own sermon. Please, I'm not standing here saying this. But this man's heart was devoted to the Lord. How, has the Lord got your heart? Has he got your heart? Do you come to church because if you don't, your mum won't give you Sunday dinner? Well done, mum. That's a good way to get them in. Starve them in, you know. <laughs> you know. But, you know, what, has the Lord got your heart? That's why he did it, because his heart was right. And these kings were good and bad, and the ones whose hearts had they'd given their hearts to Christ, they're the ones God blessed, and they prospered, and they moved forward. Well, there we are, his heart was devoted to it, and he removed the high place in Astaroth poles. You know, you know when God's got your heart, because you have, he has no rivals 
no rivals. And the minute God had got his heart and he, he had established himself as a godly king, then he looked out and said, what has to change? And the idols had to go. Now, do you have any idols? I'm a Derby County and Queen's Park Rangers supporter. There's no way they're ever going to become idols in my life. My wife suddenly became a Hull City supporter when they got in the Premiership. Strange that, isn't it? Well, they won't, she won't be supporting... No, no. <laughs> you know? But as, if God's got your heart, then you, have, you look at your life and you say, do you know what? My attitude is not right towards that person. I need to put it right. That behavior, that pattern of conduct, is not acceptable. God's got your heart. I, I try not to use the phrase, but I've got to use it. He's got the rest of you. When they've got your heart, they've got the rest of you in that way. And so he looked around. Well, please, check out if you have any idols. Now, I've used a silly one about football. There may be an idol in your, in your life. Well, uh, oh, let's use one that's non-threatening. Grandchildren. Do you remember when people used to go on about grandchildren before you got them? There's no one in the world more boring than a grandparent rattling on about their grandkids. Till you get them. And then you're as daft as the rest of them, aren't you? It's strange. I used to sit there listening to people with their grandkids. I'm going, oh, get on with it. Open your Bible, will you? Come on. Jack Hayford used to do that all the time. He'd tell stories about his grandkids. I didn't come here to listen to your grandkids. You know, and then you get the little cherubs and you're as daft as the rest of them. Grandchildren, could they be an idol? I'm using non-threatening. Your career, yourself. See, I think the biggest idol we face is self. I, was it middle letter of sin is I, oh dear. You know, have you become an idol to yourself? You worship yourself. Are you always right? Your feelings, your attitudes, as everybody else, does the world revolve around you? Or does the world, your world revolve around Christ? So this man, with this very long name Jehoshaphat, he made a decision in his early days. He was going to walk in the ways of the Lord. He didn't consult the idols. He sought the God of his father. He followed his commands rather than the practice of Israel. And his heart was devoted to the Lord. And because the Lord had his heart, the idols had to be removed. You see, I mentioned grandchildren. There's, no, there's nothing wrong with loving your grandkids. It's all a matter of positioning, I think. So, for example, um, if this is the Lord, you know, and here I am, just check that you've got a clear view of the Lord. So, for example, if my grandchildren are straight in front of there and I have to look round them to see Jesus, it's not Jesus is in the wrong place. The grandkids are in the wrong place. So they need to go a little bit to the left or a little bit to the right. So I can have a clear view of them and I have a clear view of him. An idol is anything that would, I think, uh, again, purely my definitions, if you don't agree with them, your definitions are as good as mine. Um, in fact, better probably. Um, is, is there anything obscuring your clear view of him? For some ministers, it's their ministry. Oh, I'm a minister. I mean, I can tell that you're not very impressed with me just by looking at you. Um, you know, I, I, I am a regional superintendent in Elam. Did I do this with you when I was at the, the weekend? I don't know. You know, I am a member of Elam's national leadership team. And you're getting me for free, you title. No, no. I am a trustee of the denomination. 
but I can't sell your building, can I? No. Um, not that I'd want to. In other words, I can give you a long list of silly things that I do, but that, that's, not, that's not the important thing. That could be an idol. I'm this, and I'm that, and I'm the other. You know, I think you know I'm not a bit like that. But it could be my ministry. It's not my ministry, it's his ministry. Oh, my church. Now, I used to talk about my churches, because I loved when I was in Derby and Peterborough and Brecon. I loved them. They were my church. But I knew it was his church, because I hadn't died for them. Nearly did a couple of times. But I hadn't actually. And so this man, God had his heart. But he knew that it's not just enough to remove the idols. He knew something had to be set in place that would help Judah stay free from idols. And it tells us in the third year of his reign, a whole load of names of people, he sent preaching teams out. It says in verse 9, they taught throughout Judah, taking with them the book of the law of the Lord. They went round all the towns of Judah and taught the people. So he knew that if he was to remove the idols, he'd have to replace it with something. Because there's a gap. There's a gap. And what he did was, he replaced the idols with the scriptures. And he got preaching teams, a long list of fellows whose names I cannot pronounce. But some of them were Levites, uh, you know, a whole load of them there. Some of them were priests. And then he sent them out. And they taught throughout Judah, taking with them the book of the law of the Lord. They went around all the towns of Judah and taught the people. There were no synagogues at this time. Synagogues came up between the Old and New Testament. So you've got synagogues in the New Testament, but you haven't got any in the Old Testament. Because when the children of Israel went in to exile and dispersed, they, they met in synagogues. No synagogues now. They had the temple, and they had the tribal situation. But he said, it's not enough. I'm asking these people not to worship idols. I'm asking them to walk in the ways of the Lord. I've got to help strengthen them. How can I help these people do this? Scripture. I'm going to send out fellas who will go around the towns preaching the word of the Lord. This was very, very creative thing to do. The book of the Lord. They went through all the towns of Judah and taught the people. So, if you find that you face some spiritual challenge, in fact, I dare to say that often our spiritual lives are often in, uh, the well-being of our spiritual lives is in relation to our intake of God's word they're very important very very important and he knew this so he said it's not enough for me to say don't worship the idols he had to give them a reason and the result of this in verse 10 it says the fear of the Lord fell on all the kingdom and the land surrounding Judah so they did not make war with Jehoshaphat hang on a minute I wasn't expecting that I was expecting this verse to say and the fear of the Lord fell on, fell on Judah and they did not make war with Israel, but it doesn't say that. Because the word of God was brought throughout the nation, because these people were now worshipping God, it says the fear of the Lord fell on all the kingdom surrounding Judah. So God's plan was not only were they going to be prosperous and have the fear of the Lord, but it tells us that their, their, their new war with God brought them into a place of protection. 
They did not make war with Jehoshaphat. That's amazing. So God's looking down and he's saying to himself, here's a people, here's a king, he's trying to walk in my ways, he's got rid of the Asteroth poles, he's trying to do this, he's taken the law out, he's got preachers going around the whole country telling people the Ten Commandments say for a minimum that they've got to live in the ways of the Lord. And he says, you know what I'm going to do for those people? I'm going to protect them. Protect them. How often has the word of God come and saved you from disaster? How often were you thinking, I'm going to do that? And you read scripture, and you thought, I can't do that now. Scripture's there. And it didn't, it, it was almost evangelistic. You know, it's almost an evangelistic thing. They turned back to the book. They turned back to God. They got rid of their idols. They were now the sort of nation God wanted them to be when they came out of Egypt. And the nations around them left them alone. And they began to prosper. Very, very important in that one. The fear of the Lord, verse 10, on the kingdom surrounding Judah, so they did not make war with Jehoshaphat. Some Philistines brought Jehoshaphat gifts. Philistines turning up with gifts, eh? I'd check the sell-by date on them, wouldn't you? Some Philistines brought Jehoshaphat a, a silver as tribute. And the Arabs brought in flocks, 7,000, 700 rams and 7,700 goats. Wow. Jehoshaphat became more powerful. He built forts and store cities in Judah and had large supplies in the town of Judah. He kept experienced fighting men in Jerusalem. Their enrollment by families was in the following. Verse 19. These were men who served the king beside those he stationed in the fortified cities throughout Jerusalem. Because he got his spiritual heart, because his heart was right, the nation was blessed. Because he dealt with the idols, replaced it with the word of God, the enemies came to him with gifts, and he prospered, and he kept a garrison. In other words, security was a result of it. We think sometimes we've got to make friends with the world to have peace. We don't. We need to make peace with God, then we'll have peace in that situation. Well, this guy's perfect. He wasn't perfect. If you would turn to chapter 19, if you have your Bible with you, it tells us there um, something that had happened. Um, Jehoshaphat made a mistake. Now please, we all make mistakes. I once had a, a deacon in the Derby church who said to me, he was a businessman, and he said to me, he said, I allow myself ten mistakes, a, ten mistakes a month before I start beating myself up. Because if I start beating myself up, I'll make even more. Well, I've got to nine many times. Um, but this man made a mistake. You see, nothing guarantees that we won't make a mistake. Scripture says, be careful lest you think you stand, you fall. You'd be amazed just how many, sadly, Elam ministers that we have had to dismiss because they have made major mistakes, is a mild way of putting it. And people have said, well, do you know, he's the last person I thought would rob a bank. May I say, if you're robbing banks, you're not supposed to do that. So if you could stop after the offering, we'd be grateful. Okay. You know, in that way. So nothing guarantees that you're not capable of a mistake. 
Now, I've been a Christian thousands of years, and I'm a minister, and I'm all that load of blood. Do you know what? I'm that away from missing it all. I'm that away from missing it. I'm only as good as my last sermon. Oh dear, I better preach again soon. I'm only that away. I'm one thought away from wrecking my Christian life. I'm one action away from bringing the name of Christ into disrepute. And this man did it all right. He's almost... But he made a big mistake. In chapter 18, verses 1 through to 9, 11, he entered into an alliance with Ahab. Now, Ahab was the king of Israel. So, Jehoshaphat is Judah. Ahab, the king of Israel. Now, you will remember that Jehoshaphat wanted nothing to do with Ahab or Israel. Because Israel were not serving the Lord. Their land was riddled with idolatry. And, um, and all sorts of things. It really is very, very bad. And when we get to chapter 19, we realize that he'd made a mistake. It was never God's will. What happened was Ahab said to him, look, will you come and fight with me? Don't forget, he's got soldiers, he's got this garrison. You know, he's a powerful person. He's got the resources to go to war. So Ahab says, will you come and fight with me? And, and of course, there's probably some kinship. I don't know. But Jehoshaphat said, yes, he shouldn't have touched Ahab with a barge pole. What has light to do with darkness? He should have nothing to do with it. But he did. We're told very simply that was the situation in that way. Um, verse 18, now Jehoshaphat had great wealth and honor. He allied himself with Ahab by marriage. What was the boy playing at? What was he playing at? The Bible talks about being evenly yoked. It talks about, you know, what has light to do with darkness. Did he think he could strengthen it? Had his wealth, had the blessing of God turned his head? You know, blessing can be as dangerous as challenges, you know. You think, well, God's really blessing me. I must be all right. Well, you're only all right if you're walking with him. And one mistake, that's what it was. He made an alliance with Ahab through marriage. Solomon did the same. Solomon had more wives. I can't believe a man with so much wisdom could have so many mother-in-laws. <laughs> Solomon, I mean, if that was any sign it wasn't God's will, it would be the number of mother-in-laws he had. But he did it. and it was just, He would marry a wife. He'd marry this wife from this country. And it was to establish, you know, a, a pact. And, of course, she would bring her idols into the house and he'd say, you can't have them. And she'd say, oh, please. He said, well, all right, but don't show anybody. And the next thing we know, Solomon's life is absolutely ruined. And so he made this pact with him. One decision to do this. Now, by chapter 19, it goes badly. When King Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, returned safely to his palace in Jerusalem, but when he returned... Something was going to be said to him that he probably didn't expect. When Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, returned safely to his palace in Jerusalem, uh, Jehu the seer, seer means prophet, okay, the son of Hanai, went to meet him and said to the king, Should you have helped that wicked and loved those who hate the Lord? That's a prophet for you, isn't it? So he's coming back. He's been out to this battle. He's made an alliance with this godly man, this wicked king, for whatever reason, probably political. But it says, when he returned, the prophet said this, 
Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Why did you help him? God says, why did you help this Ahab? He, he, it's evil. Um, I'm just looking around at the age group, all the children of God. It tells us in Kings that, that, that um, Jehoshaphat had to get rid of temples with male prostitution in. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm just saying this is, this is anathema to God, what was going on in this, in this situation here. And the prophet just comes in and says, Jehoshaphat, you made a big mistake. And it was quite simple. The prophet puts it in a nutshell. Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? And the simple answer is no. No, we don't. We love the lost. Of course we do. We want to evangelize. But because my, my, one of my relatives is a drug addict, doesn't mean to say I've got to help him and buy him drugs. I want him to come to Jesus. I don't help the wicked. If I have a relative who's a bank robber, I don't say, well, if maybe if I'm a lookout, you know, for the robbery, he might give his life to Jesus. I mean, it's crackers. God's so clear. Why did you help the wicked? Why did you do this? Why did you do it? Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? This man hates me. And you, you love me. And it was a mistake. For all his background, for all him getting it right, all his preaching teams, all the rest of it, he got it wrong. It says this. Because of this, the wrath of the Lord is upon you. Wow. The wrath of the Lord is upon you. Jehoshaphat, I blessed you. I prospered you. I made you secure. No one attacked you. Who do you think did that? I did that. Did you not realize that I was blessing you? Why did you do this? Now, the more God gives, to whom much is given, much is expected. And you might think, well, this is very hard on him. But the wrath of God comes against him for one mistake. The problem is, when a king makes a mistake, he takes thousands with him. When a pastor makes a mistake, he can take dozens or hundreds with him. And leadership brings with it great responsibility. I've known people desperate to get into leadership. And when they're in it, they're thinking, what was that all about? It just brings responsibility in that way. And so the prophet comes and says to him, should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Because of this, the wrath of the Lord is on you. There is, and this is hope. This great thing about God. God is fair. There's a lovely verse in the Old Testament that says, Will not the judge of all the earth do right? There are things happening in your life you don't understand. Why did my husband die? Why did my wife take him? Why did that happen? Why, why, why? At the end of the day, I have no answer. I stand back. And I say, will not the judge of all the earth do right? I've got to trust God in this. First funeral I took of a baby, I remember punching the wall of Derby City Hospital. I was so cross with God that this baby had died. My new assistant thought he'd come to work with a maniac. He said, well, you should have been more controlled, Gordon. Yes, I should have been, because that blooming hurt. But I just thought, Lord. And there's times I have to stand back and say, Lord, you're going to have to explain this to me one day. You're going to. And some of you have maybe been there. I don't want to open up old wounds. But sometimes you're going to start saying, well, we're not the judge of all the earth. Do right. God's in charge. He's on the throne in that 
in that way. I'm almost there. You've listened very well because of my throat. You've done very well. He says this. Verse 3. There is, however, some good in you. I could, I'm not cry. That's probably too strong a word. I get quite choked with that. Jehoshaphat, you've done well up till now. But you made a mistake. And because of that, you've aligned a godly nation with an ungodly nation. You brought my name. People are going to associate Judah and Israel as one. And we're not. I have nothing to do with Israel. They're wicked. Wicked, wicked. That's God's word. They're wicked. And the wrath of... Because you have dragged my name out there. That's it. And the wrath of the Lord is upon you. And then there's this little words of grace and mercy. Real burst of New Testament in the Old Testament here. There is, however, some good in you. Isn't that great? You know, the prophet's just told him he's wicked. You know, why did you do it? You've done these terrible things. You've made a big mistake. One thing making a mistake that ruins your life is when you ruin a nation. Worse if you've dragged God's name into it. He says, there is, however, some good in you. Do you know when people tell you that you're rubbish, you're not. There's some good in you. You know, none of us are perfect, but there's some good in you. For you have rid the land of the Asherah poles and have set your heart on seeking God. In other words, I'm going to temper the judgment. I'm going to temper what's going to happen. Strictly speaking, Jehoshaphat, you should be dismissed. Get the sack. You're finished. You've brought my name. You've brought Judah in line with that evil Israel. But there is some good in you. In other words, you're not all bad. Isn't that great? When we take communion, it says, let a man examine himself, then let him eat. You know, sometimes I, uh, when I examine myself, I think to myself, well, I should be a lot more spiritual than I am. But there is some good in me, and you know what it is? It's the grace and mercy of God. In the New Testament, there's some good in you is Christ. Now, in the natural, there is some good in you. You're not all horrible, are you? Anybody here all horrible? No, no, you're just horrible occasionally. You know, but the good in me is not me. In the Old Testament, God said, there's some good in you. You got rid of the idols. I acknowledge that, and because of that, I'm going to pull back on the accelerator of judgment. Now, what's the some good in us in the New Testament? It's not that you've worked in Sunday school for 4,000 years, or you've some been in this church a thousand weeks. Imagine that. We should pay you. We should pay you a thousand weeks. You know, no, 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 no. The good in you has nothing to do with you. In the Old Testament, it was said, there's some good in you, he says quite simply. You got rid of the Ashtoreth poles and set your heart on seeking God. That's not the good in you. The good in you is Christ. It says in Scripture, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Hands up anybody here who's perfect. Nobody. Anybody here who really deserves to go to heaven. Nobody. Why are we going? Because of his mercy, his grace, and the good in me is Christ. So when he looked at Jehoshaphat, he says, there is some good in you. You got rid of the idols and you sought God with your whole heart. I'm going to pull back a bit on the judgment. Great. But for us, 
who've seen the cross, for us who've seen his mercy and his grace, I have to say, there is nothing good in me. When I look at Christ, there is nothing good in me. When I think of my sin that took him to the cross, there is nothing good in me. Does that mean I'm wicked and evil? I'm not more wicked or evil than anybody here. But I know this, that even on my best day, I'm not good enough. That's why he died. That's why he came to be our saviour. So the good in Gordon is Jesus. The good in you is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the good in Jehoshaphat was that he had rid the land of the idols and set his heart on seeking God. Does that mean that because Christ is the good in us, we don't get rid of idols? Of course not. Or that we don't seek God with our whole hearts. But we understand the limitations that that brings. Because works have now finished. Grace has arrived. And mercy. And salvation. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these good folk listening. I hope this cold I've got hasn't deterred them from hearing your voice. I just pray, Lord, that we will look at our lives, that we might be Jehoshaphats, that we might seek the Lord with our hearts, that we will bring our Bibles with us wherever we go, that we will find ourselves devoted to you. And when the big decisions have to be made, may we not make the mistake that Jehoshaphat make of aligning himself with the wicked, but we may throw ourselves back on the grace of and mercy of God. There was something good in Jehoshaphat. There's something good in us. And his name is Jesus. Amen.